The Local Youth Worker is a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. Since 1972, RYM has sought to reach and equip youth for Christ. And this podcast seeks to reach and equip those parents and youth workers who share that same desire. For more information on our student conferences, youth leader training, or resources, visit rym.org. Hey everybody, uh, welcome back to episode 345. Um, today I have Linda Oliver with me serving as a co-host. Linda, how's it going? Going well, John. Um, Linda, before we get to our essentials of a youth room, uh, why don't you just share with the, the listeners where you are? I know you've been on uh, a little bit before, but just tell everybody where you're serving right now. Right. So it's been a while, I think, since I've been on. And yeah. since I have, a lot has happened. Um but as of uh, April 2021, uh, I am in Orlando, Florida, um, and I am serving as the director of student ministry for Orangewood Church here, a PCA church that technically is right outside Orlando, but for all intents and purposes, y'all can refer to it as Orlando. All right. And the important thing is, is not how far it is outside of Orlando. Mm-hmm. How close is it to Disney World? Um, that's what everybody wants to know, right? You know, we're on the opposite side of the city from that. Okay. Um, and I live even further out. So it would take me, if traffic were not bad, it would take me 45 minutes to get there, which is still not bad. Still but not bad. yeah, we're not in the super touristy area, which okay. I appreciate. Yeah. That can, and that I have yet nice. to make it to Disney World. So. Oh, man. You've got to get there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and again, I've got to say too, um, Linda's voice might be familiar, not only because um, she's been on this podcast before, but she helped out with the intro uh, to this um, podcast. Uh, so you can go back and, and check that out again if you want to listen to that. Um, she's also helping out with the word in student ministry. The word in youth ministry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pre-recording, I get this wrong all the time. Um, so I messed it up. Um, so the word in um, youth ministry, uh, mm-hmm. CPYU's other podcasts. Yeah. Um, so be sure to check that out. Um, our listeners know we're, we're talking about uh, essentials of a youth room. Um, Lynn, I'd love for <laughs> Lynn. <laughs> Lynn was on last week. This is Linda. Uh, Linda, I would love for you uh, to share what you think of an essential of a youth room is besides the Bible. Um, we always want to give that disclaimer. A Bible should be in every youth room, but, but tell us what, what do you think an essential of a youth room is? Yeah. So one of the things that comes to mind for me is that there need to be things for the students to do the moment they arrive. And it could be something really simple that they can do with their hands. So, you know, our youth room here, and I've been at four different churches, but almost all of them have had something like either a ping pong table or a pool table that students can immediately do something. But at one church too, we barely any of the students paid attention to this, but we would provide a table that I think it just had pizza rolls on it and maybe some drinks. And there were some students that would arrive to youth group and not know what to do with themselves. You know, that like moment of terror when you walk Mm -hmm. into a room and you're like, where are people that I can talk to? What do I do? So I don't look like an idiot, but providing that table of pizza rolls allowed the student to walk straight there, pick up some pizza rolls, look like they were occupying themselves until they figured out what do I do with myself? And I think even something as simple as that, um, that a student knows they can do, um, right when they arrive is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, I cannot overstate how significant this is what, what, what you're, what you're saying. Um, yeah, you know, we, we sometimes forget just the absolute terror and anxiety of being a middle schooler or, you know, even a high schooler or even an adult for that, for that mm-hmm. matter of uh, just walking into a room filled with, with people. And we obviously want to create spaces that are, safe and secure and comfortable for students to, to enter. And so even thinking about something like, okay, right when they walk into this room, where can students go? What can they do? Because they don't want to just walk in the door shuts behind them and they're just standing there. 
um, and they don't know what to do. And we know most of them, they'll just kind of reach in their pocket and grab their phone. And that's what they'll do with their hands. But having some kind of activity um, and just curious, do you have any games set up? Do you have any other things that um, can, you know, just be activities that they can kind of jump into and, and share with a, another student friend? Yeah, so we here have been kind of retooling that a little bit um, recently with our middle school program, because there was a while that we were starting our program in the gym thinking like, oh, we'll provide like a football and basketballs and all these different things. Then we started to realize the students that were consistently coming, that wasn't serving them best. So we moved it to where we didn't start in the gym. We just start in our youth room. And most of them at first would play ping pong together. And there's a version of ping pong called ultimate ping pong that you can have multiple people play, which was working well enough, except students would keep like coming late, keep needing to learn the rules. We could never actually get into a good game. And so then we said, okay, what if we start setting out um, our giant Jenga and you know, encouraging more people to like, Hey, why don't you go to the pool table instead of like, Oh, in order to be included, you have to play ping pong. Cause that's mm -hmm. the only thing everyone is doing. So we have a, a variety of kind of board games, um, card games, the giant Jenga the pool table, the ping pong table, and just some couches that students can sit down at too. Um, and that has been working, um, pretty well for our middle school students right now. Hmm. That, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. There was a, there was a time where we were kind of pushing back against getting, you know, video games in the youth room uh, when I was serving at, at Pear Orchard and not opposed to that. If people do that, that's great. That's fine. I think that can, can be helpful. Um, but we kind of a gaming corner where we, uh, we actually glued some, um, uh, connect four games to the wall, uh, that hmm. people uh, could use. We also had, you know, the, the little boxers that punch each other and like their yeah. heads pop up. Those old school. We, we had that on the wall. We had a bunch of like old school games, um, that people played. It was just kind of a little corner that, that people could use. And we were surprised how successful that was, how often students would just kind of go to that and, and utilize that. So I think it's, yeah, an important thing to consider. And again, just trying to, the, the end goal here is trying to create a, a safe kind of comfortable environment for students to enter into. So that's a really helpful point. Um, to our listeners, Lynn will continue uh, serving as a co-host. Um, I said Lynn again. Yeah, you Linda. did. I'm sorry. Um, Usually Lynn is the one who gets my name wrong. <laughs> Maybe she's rubbing off on me. I guess that's <laughs> it. And I do have to say I haven't um, had a lot of coffee this morning. So that's that's part of it. And it was a late night at the soccer field with the kids. So I'll, that'll be my excuse. Wow. So Linda is going to continue to serve as a co-host um, on this podcast, but she's going to be with us in our later segment as we have Dr. John Kwasney talking about um, depression. Um, he's contributed to the new track series. And as we're moving into our technically speaking segment uh, with Reagan Rose, he's also a contributor to um, our track series, uh, writing the entry on, on gaming. And he's going to be with us for the next few weeks. Uh, those who've tuned in know Chris Martin had been with us for, uh, the last, um, three weeks or so, uh, before we get into that segment with Reagan, I do want to, uh, remind everyone, uh, just to check out some of our resources that we're releasing. Um, some of the people may be familiar with our 50 for the 50th, uh, we are compiling 50 top 10 lists, um, throughout, uh, the course of 2022. Uh, as a way to uh, just celebrate the Lord's faithfulness for 50 years of ministry uh, with, with RYM, also partnering with other individuals and, and ministries to, to serve the broader kingdom by compiling top 10 lists. Um, so often we'll, we'll get questions of, hey, what, what are the best books on this subject? And so we've reached out to a lot of people to help compile um, uh, top 10 lists on just a host of, of topics. And so at the time of this recording, we might have, I don't know, four or five lists that are up. Um, Tim Challey's just shared one on the top 10 biographies. Uh, I know we've got some on social media coming out. And um, I'd encourage people, if you go to rym.org slash resources, um, you can access 50 for the 50th there. You'll see the, the link. Um, also reminding our listeners, we'll have links uh, in the show notes. Uh, so be sure to, to check that out, as well as timestamps for our different segments. We're continuing to try to do that. Uh, to help the listeners. Um, but now uh, let me go ahead and transition us to our technically speaking segment with Reagan Rose. Hey everybody, welcome back. Uh, I've got Reagan Rose with me. Reagan, how's it going? Going good. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you back on. And I, I already forgot, I should have looked at the episode 
uh, that you were on, uh, our listeners know it was, uh, let's see, season, um, I can't even remember, but it was uh, post-pandemic productivity. I do remember that. And it was kind of like we were coming out of all the quarantine stuff and we were thinking about, okay, how can we re-enter life in a productive way? And so I knew your Redeeming Productivity blog and podcast could be helpful. And so that's where we first met. I don't know. I guess it was sometime in 2020. Um, but it's good to have you come back on and to talk about uh, your book, A Student's Guide to Gaming, which is part of the track series. Um, also want to let our listeners know that Chris Holland is joining us uh, from Tucson, Arizona, very early in the morning. So, Chris, good to see you. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Yeah, for sure. And I'm looking forward to talking about uh, gaming. I, I was sharing a little bit um, before recording that I had texted a group of youth workers and just said, hey, what are some questions you guys have about video games? And um, was, was getting uh, peppered with questions. So uh, we are definitely going to run out of time uh, to, to talk about all of these questions. And Obviously, we know you've got all the answers because you're the expert in this, Reagan. So yeah, that's sure. I just refer to myself as a video game expert now, and uh, <laughs> I've got this whole thing figured out. Yeah. No, it, it is such a broad topic. There's so much to it and so much nuance, and it, it's a complicated thing for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And there's yeah, so much to talk about, and obviously... Um, uh, you know, this time next year, there's no telling uh, where gaming is going to be uh, with uh, the metaverse and all of those things, uh, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll jump into a little bit. Um, I kind of thought it, it might be helpful hmm. to, to start off uh, this way. I'm going to obviously date myself, um, and I hate starting things this way, but uh, saying when I was younger, when I, oh, when gosh. I was into <laughs> Um, I mean, the Nintendo 8-bit had just kind of come out. Um, This might have been, maybe I was six or seven, somewhere in there. I I cannot remember. But I remember, you know, Mario Brothers. I remember Duck Hunt. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those were the two games. Um, And then, you know, as as I think when I was younger, you know, I enjoyed video games and we played video games. But um, you were kind of, it was kind of, you were, you were labeled more nerdy if you played video games more. Um, you kind of still had the thought of, okay, I want to be outside. I want to be playing sports. But then, you know, later as I was entering college, Nintendo 64 was around, GoldenEye. That was kind of the game that I got hooked on. Um, but I'd love to – I mean, I see, see you both nodding, but I'd love to hear both Chris and Reagan. Is that similar to how it was when, when you guys were coming up, that you were kind of nerdy if you played video games? Not as popular, obviously, now. Just respond to that, Reagan. Why don't you go first? Yeah, no, that that's totally my my experience as well, and very similar. First first game I played with was uh, Super Mario Brothers Duck Hunt combo on the original NES, mm-hmm. and you couldn't you couldn't play for very long those games. Like you could do it for a little while, but it wasn't like the games today where you just you could play and play and play. It just they weren't that interesting. Um, but yeah, it was it was online gaming that really captured me. So I did the Golden Eye thing and some of those, but I got into Halo when that came out yeah. and a couple of uh, like um, massive multiplayer online role-playing games. And those just, both those just really sucked me in where it's like I could go all night and sometimes did go all night <laughs> and couldn't stop playing. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think it was a requirement uh, to do youth ministry and to play Halo. I yep. think as I was getting into youth ministry, yeah. I mean, Halo 2 was definitely big um, as I was you know, really getting into youth ministry. And um, that's what I played with my students a lot. Chris, what, what do you remember? <laughs> Man, when I was 15 years old, I was just so unaware. <laughs> so there was a girl that was interested in me. I know you guys are like, uh, yeah, right. Okay, this is a lie. But <laughs> there's a girl that was interested in me. And on a Friday afternoon after school, she said, hey, what are you, what are you doing tonight? And um, I was not a Christian at the time, let me say. So I was not engaging and in taking initiative here. But uh, I said, honestly? And she said, yeah, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm going to get off the bus and go home, and I'm going to crack open a Sunny D and eat beef jerky and play Super Nintendo, Madden 96. <laughs> and she's like, seriously? <laughs> I'm sorry. That's my life. Like, that's what I do. And I was a big-time gamer. Halo came out. I mean, it was it was crazy. It was a great – I played okay. Halo Infinite last night. I'm still that guy. <laughs> Well, I, I've got to say, not only did you just say Super Nintendo, but you also said Sunny D and, <laughs> and Beef Jerky. I mean, those things, that just, that takes you back. I mean, I'm thinking yeah, of old yeah. commercials and, and all of that. <laughs> um, Part of this complete breakfast. <laughs> the Sunny OJ. D and Beef Jerky for breakfast. <laughs> you got to get the protein. Purple yeah. stuff. Sunny D. 
yeah, you remember the commercials. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. Oh man, we're totally dating ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, Reagan, something. I, I mean, I, I I love the book that you put out, man. I cannot wait for people to utilize this, and we'll just continue to to plug it and tell people uh, to get a student's guide to gaming. It's available through Christian Focus. You can get those in bulk uh, more easily through Christian Focus, but obviously Amazon as well. But um, one thing you say in your book. Um, that I love is, I mean, one, we don't want to just be negative and jump on all the negatives of video games. There are definitely negatives that we're going to get into and we need to discuss. Um, but you say, you know, there's good things about video games, but not even that you say they're, they're too good <laughs> in a lot of ways. And so I think kind of maybe the shift from our upbringing into video games to where we're just kind of enthralled with, with gaming. Why don't you explain a little bit about what you mean by they're too good when you talk about video games? Yeah. You know, I growing up playing video games, probably similar to you guys, the you kind of could get browbeat about it a little bit from parents or, or youth pastors or things like that. That you know, you <clears throat> these they're not worthwhile. Or like the big thing for me uh, was the violence thing, you know. And like there was always the question: Do video games make you violent? Things like that. Mm-hmm. But it was always it was always cast in the negative, and it was seen as just a and an abject waste of time, you know, almost worse than if you would spend all your time like watching movies or something. And so as I was thinking about it, you know, and and trying to figure out, like I got very, very addicted to video games myself and ended up just pulling back. And that's what drove me to start evaluating what's going on here. Mm -hmm. And so the kind of the question, and I guess it's sort of the thesis of the book is not what makes video games bad, but what makes them so uh, good, so entertaining, so enthralling that I, I can sit down and watch a two-hour movie. I could not watch movies all through the night unless that you know maybe I had had too much coffee or something. <laughs> but there's something about games that just capture you and you can play them endlessly. Like at least for me, holds your attention more than any other entertainment. Mm. And I think that's been a progression we've seen. Like we were talking about the early video games, it was like yeah, it's a little bit of a diversion. But the modern video games, especially with online stuff, with some of the um, financial models that surround them about the microtransactions, and they're, they're basically in, incentivized, the developers are, to keep you playing longer and longer. And so the video games have gotten all that much more interesting and enthralling. And so when I say that they're, they're too good, that's, that's what I mean from like a very high level is that they have the potential to... Uh, take an inordinate amount of your attention more than I think, especially parents and even some youth pastors, some of us who grew up with video games, mm-hmm. even recognize how much different the modern games are from the ones we grew up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's, it's an insightful point to make. I mean, not only, you know, can we all say, and we should say, I mean, there are good things about video games and there are things even socially that, that can uh, be helpful um, about them, but to, but to see, like, I mean, like you said, comparing it to, to movies, I mean, we can binge watch things. We can, we can get into, um, you know, watching shows on Netflix or whatever, but there is something just unique about, um, video games, uh, that, that has drawn us in. Um, and why, why don't you talk a little bit more? I know you, you've listed kind of a few things, a few aspects of what, what is it kind of on a heart level that draws us into these games? And maybe just to highlight that, you know, one of those for us. I know you don't have time to talk about all of them, but maybe just one of them for us. Yeah, I think one of the, the big ones, and I think maybe the most interesting one is the dominion aspect. Like, the, you know, that God created us to rule and reign in this world. You know, he made Adam and Eve and put them over, like to be basically kings and, and queens in this world. And, and, that's what we were made for. And so I think there's this desire in us that we have as part of that creation mandate to overcome, to, to dominate, to, you know, um, challenge ourselves and see ourselves overcome stuff. But because of the curse, you know, work is hard. There's thorns, there's thistles, like the, the, the process of overcoming things or, or building something, you know, even just our day-to-day jobs is fraught with difficulty. And so that, that desire to, to exercise dominion is constantly being thwarted. And I think one of the things that that's interesting about video games is they're not easy. The video games have a challenge to them, which I think attracts us to, to be like, okay, I want to overcome that challenge. But because they're 
you know, a simulation, they're basically fake. They enable you to overcome the limits of the fall. So I'm not held back by say with like Minecraft or something like I can build insane, amazing stuff on there, which I've, I do not have the financial resources or even, you know, the physics don't really cooperate that much with some of the things you can do in that <laughs> game to try to do it in real life. And I think they allow you to exercise that dominion and, and experience the joy of, of creating and overcoming obstacles, which is, a, I think it's a good thing. That's why we like it. But the downside to that is it's sort of like, it's you're scratching that itch. And I wonder if um, sometimes if we give ourselves too much to that sort of um, simulated success, simulated dominion, if, if it, we might be diverting some of the energy that Lord has given us to exercise r- dominion in the real world, even with the difficulty, even with the hardship of the fall and the curse uh, th- that, that produces real and lasting um, effects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so insightful. Um, and I know we're about to start wrapping this segment up uh, now, but uh, Chris, I want you to, to be able to jump in. So Chris, what do you have? You know, Reagan, when I talked to my, I talked to a group of guys last night while we we're playing Halo Infinite until the wee hours of the night. And, um, <laughs> and one of them said, do Christians make video games? And I mean, I know that there's Christians that work, you know, I'm sure Christians that work within the field of computer programming and, and gaming and, and they're designing games, but are there Christian, like directly Christian, not necessarily like Benny Hinn shooting demons out of the sky with the Holy Spirit power or whatever, like, <laughs> but like what, are there actually just explicitly clear Christian video games out there? Yeah, I know that there are. I'm not I'm not familiar with like recent ones, but I know that there are some of those kind of like I don't know, like maybe this <laughs> I think they're a little goofy some of the ones that are kind of like probably what happens like with Christian movies too, mm-hmm. where it's a little like too on the nose or yeah. something, yeah. Or a little cheesy. That's the only Christian video games I've played have been like rapture games or things along those lines <laughs> that rapture are a little uh, a little out there. Um, but I'm not aware of, I'm not aware of any specific like Christian video game studio or people who are, who are producing games right now. I'm sure they're out there. Yeah. Why do you feel like, like the church is not, uh, engaged in that directly in that way, other than just usually Christian music and art sucks these days, you know, for the most part, but like, why do you feel like, I would assume that there would be churches out there trying to do that. There's churches making movies and all kinds of stuff, but why do you think they won't do that? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I I would say there's probably, I'm just shooting from the hip here, but probably one of the big reasons obviously is related to Christians and media in general, being Mm -hmm. a little behind the curve, not prioritizing that. Um, There's probably funding issues. You got to get enough people around the vision to actually attract top talent to do it. Yeah. Um, And I think that's, that's probably a really big aspect of it is the people who have the talent to be doing this stuff are going to these big studios that pay the big bucks that have this, this big vision for something that that's different, you know, just, I think practically that's yeah. probably a big part of it. Probably people don't have the vision for it. Wow. Yeah. It is something interesting. I honestly haven't spent a whole lot of time thinking about because, you know, we've just referenced uh, Christian movies. Uh, we know Christian music. Um, so why not, you know, Christian uh, gaming? And, and of course, as we're all, said i mean as you just said reagan we're kind of shooting from the hip i haven't done a whole lot of looking into that but i'm sure there's stuff out there um but that's interesting to consider um yeah. well look we're, we're gonna break here there, there's so much more to talk about but i've actually got a lot of questions from some youth workers we might can can go through uh, as well um more next week and then the the following week to come we'll have reagan with us for for three weeks in our uh, technically speaking um segment uh so we'll talk more next week reagan sounds good All right, everyone, that was Reagan Rose. And just a reminder, he will be with us for the next couple of weeks uh, talking about video games um, and just encouraging everyone to to be sure to to check out his book. Uh, You can order those in bulk from christianfocus.org or go to Amazon. Um, now Linda is still with me and I said, Linda, I didn't say Lynn. I got your, your name yep, right. Got it. Uh, Linda, uh, we've already recorded that conversation. And so just some reaction now that we've gotten to, to sit down and, and talk with him, what, what were your thoughts about getting to, uh, hear from him? Yeah. I mean, my overall thing is, man, 
I really went in with some questions thinking we're not going to be able to get to all of this, but we covered so much ground um, in this interview with Dr. Kwasney. Um, so there's probably going to be some really helpful stuff, kind of whatever you're thinking through with depression and students. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I was surprised too. I'd kind of said, okay, let's shoot for 30 minutes. I think we might've gone 35 with them and uh, had, you know, some <laughs> topics I wanted to, to hit on, but I was thinking, yeah, I don't think we'll be able to, to cover um, all this ground, but yeah, we, we did get to cover a wide spectrum of, of topics. Um, and two, you know, I know we, we shared this, that um, these conversations are not always fun to have, um, but, but they're important. Um, so I hope they, they serve the, the listener well. And um, I, I know they will. I know um, this is an important book to, to have uh, for parents and, and youth workers. Um, so without further ado, let's go ahead and uh, get into our discussion with, with John. Here he is. Hey, everybody. Uh, we are here with uh, Dr. John Kwasney. Um, John is on staff at uh, Peer Orchard Presbyterian Church. Um, that is where I worked as a youth worker. So John and I overlapped um, for about, I don't know, 12, 13 years, something like that. Um, and John is uh, the author of the new track booklet, A Student's Guide to Depression. And um, John, I always feel like we've got a joke about that. We're not telling people how to be depressed. Um, or That's <laughs> with, right. It, with, it's not with, a guide to uh, yeah being depressed, not at all. Yeah, because um, we got that with Ed Welch's first one, a student's guide to anxiety. Hey, look, we're not trying to make you more anxious. Um, but but John's going to be talking to us about this new booklet. And if you're a listener to the, the podcast, you know John was on um, way back when we had five segments. So he was on episodes 25 through 30. That was when we had kind of 10 minute segments. And then he came back on in episode 121. Um, he's also written, he's written several books, uh, but one of the books that uh, he's partnered with us at RYM is called Pursuing a Heart of Wisdom. Um, that's something if uh, people have gone to our youth theater training, we gave that book to every attendee uh, a few years ago, but I would just that's a book I want to constantly point uh, youth workers to that it might be, and John, you can help me here, 20 to 30 chapters, maybe dealing with, you know, all sorts of topics from anxiety to cutting to um, body image issues to social media. And so youth workers can just kind of dip in and out of that, use that as kind of a reference as you're, you're dealing with students. It's yeah, such a, such a helpful, helpful booklet. Um, but I also want to say too, Linda Oliver is, is still with us. Um, she is, uh, serving as a, a co-host uh, today. So she's joining us from Orlando. And uh, John, why don't you just briefly, as we, we jump in, tell us just a little bit about your, your family and anything else that comes to mind. Well, thanks, John and Linda. Good to be here. Uh, <clears throat> glad to uh, be back on the podcast. It does seem like a while. Uh, glad you're still doing it. So good <laughs> stuff. Uh, yeah, my name is John Kwasney and my wife's name is Marty and we've been married for 31 years. Uh, we have eight children. Uh, we have four sons-in-laws, so four married girls at the top and uh, four grandchildren now. So uh, we keep expanding uh, uh, on a yearly basis, it seems like. Just had another wedding this last December. Uh, so that's uh, in Jackson, Mississippi, as you said, at Pear Orchard. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you said grandkids because I was like, is it three or four? It's it's hard to to keep up. Um, for, For me forgot too. To, <laughs> forgot <laughs> to mention too, you're, you're an adjunct professor at RTS. Um, I know you teach at RTS Jackson as well as Charlotte. Have you been in any other campuses as well? No, that's it. That's it. Guest taught out of Charlotte, but yeah, I teach the pastoral counseling uh, class out at Jackson and the, the practical issues in, in pastoral counseling class where I'm teaching right now. All right. Yeah. So, so John has spent many years in the counseling realm. And um, when I, I was on staff, I would um, probably knock on his door, I don't know, twice every day, uh, if not more, um, asking for, hey, can you help me with this issue I'm, I'm dealing with with a student? So I'm very glad to have you um, on the podcast today. I know many will be uh, blessed by it, but but also just contributing to this track series. So, uh, we're excited to get this in the hands of many youth workers and um, can you know utilize this alongside students, parents as well, utilizing it alongside their, their children. Um, talking about a very important topic, depression. And it's one of those that kind of seems like, okay, we, we all kind of know um, what it is and what we're, we're talking about. But at the same time, I think it's helpful to define it. 
um, because it is a word that we can just kind of throw around a whole lot and it can seem to encompass a lot and be just kind of an umbrella term that we uh, throw out and, and maybe even overuse at times. So, uh, John, how about just let's begin there. How about you define depression for us a little bit? Give us some some thoughts about it. Well, yeah, John, I think you're exactly right. We we tend it's it's a word that's so pervasive uh, in our uh, vocabularies that a lot of us use it misuse it all the time. You know, I'm, I'm so depressed. My team lost the Super Bowl. You know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm depressed. It's Monday. You know, no, you're not. You're not depressed. Uh, but, uh, you know, we use it simply to say we're bummed out. We're sad. We're, you know, discouraged. Uh, we should probably use sad and discouraged a lot more than we use the word depressed. Uh, it would it would be better a better way to communicate. Uh, but depression obviously is a real genuine problem. Uh, and, you know, the best way I think to define it biblically, there's so many, you know, definitions out there is it's, it's a disorder of the mood that we're, uh, we're just chronically sad, uh, chronically down, uh, uh, you know, down in the dumps, as we'd like to say, but it's, it's a, it's a pervasive. It's a more pervasive problem in our life. I I, uh, I often talk about it more on a spectrum, where where there's certainly people that suffer from a, a mild depression that comes and goes uh, to more of a chronic depression uh, that they're just uh, they're just operating out of a uh, out of a down sadness uh, and deep sadness uh, that just continues uh, on and on. And and of course, uh, we use language like a clinical depression or a major depression in those senses. Uh, but so in some ways, everybody gets depressed. But in other ways, uh, only certain people struggle with what we would really define as depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and look, I want to turn it over to, to Linda in a minute, but just kind of to follow up to, uh, you know, talking about males and females. Um, I, I know that, um, uh, you know, both men and women obviously struggle with, with depression, but are there unique ways in which you've kind of seen throughout the years of um, ways in which depression can be manifested? Well, yeah, I, I, certainly. I think whenever you're talking about anything uh, with the emotions, uh, you know, men and women experience emotions and speak about the emotions differently. Generally speaking, men aren't as in touch with our emotions. Uh, we deny our emotions. We, we rationalize emotions and speak in more cognitive terms where uh, culturally women are more free to speak of emotions, show emotion. Uh, you know, the classic girls can cry, boys don't cry. Uh, of course, girls can't cry in baseball, according to Tom Hanks. Uh, <laughs> but uh, nice reference there. Yeah, everywhere else, uh, they can certainly uh, be outward in their emotional uh, expression. And so, so for depression, uh, yeah, men might just come across more angry, you know, uh, and, and sullen uh, uh, and pouty, where, you know, uh, a, a woman may be more tearful and, and speak much more of grief and loss than, than men do. Uh, but, you know, similar problem, but yeah, you know, it, generally speaking, men, men have a way of, uh, of trying to tamp that down a lot more and, and, and unfortunately uh, self-medicate and do other things to try to get rid of it. in a lot, a lot more often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought brought up anger. That's something I hope we can kind of dip into a little bit as you know, in your book, you just kind of highlight some of the, the um, partnering issues that kind of accompany depression often. But Linda, I'd, I'd love for you to jump in here as well. Yeah, so I'm curious, since you've, you know, been in the counseling realm for so long, if you're noticing some trends in how students and parents are tending to think of depression today that are maybe different than when you started. Uh. Yes, thanks for pointing out for how long I've been around. I am, I am the I am the old guy around here, which is uh, which is humbling, but but good. But yes, I, I, things things have changed a lot, and and the biggest change I, I think is one the freedom to talk about it, and may, maybe that's mm-hmm. the advent of social media and feeling safe in places to talk about things you never really talked about. So so it's a lot more <clears throat> a lot more conversational, a lot more. Uh, students are uh, and youth are a lot more willing to talk about it. But, you know, back in, you know, even in the 80s in my counseling training, um, we never really thought about 
children and youth being depressed. You know, that was an adult problem. That was a a, a real adult-ish kind of problem. And you, you just kind of thought children and youth would grow out of those depression, de- depressed feelings, or again, they were just random depressed feelings. And yet now today, and we're, we're seeing that it is a serious problem with youth and not just because of suicide. We, obviously, we see the, the rise in that over the years, uh, but it's just a genuine disabling sort of problem for a, a lot of youth that it just didn't seem to be in my day. You see, again, it was it was not treated as serious. You as a teenager, you know, myself, it was almost like you were really strange to talk about being depressed. Like, come on. You know, what do you have to be depressed about mm-hmm. today? Maybe post COVID, of course, we're not post COVID yet, but during this last couple of years, uh, again, people are more free to say youth, especially I- I'm depressed and they weren't that way in the past. So that's, that certainly has, has changed. And because of that, you know, medically doctors have been much more willing to put teenagers on antidepressants when that never happened, you know, 30 years ago um children as well uh so it's being treated as a much more serious problem there was it always there probably um but it's certainly more significant now yeah it's interesting to hear you say that i was actually listening to um a podcast discussing ordinary people do you remember that movie Um, yeah yeah oh yeah best picture winner i know fairly controversial that it beat out raging bull but that's another discussion very very Um, heavy movie yeah but but they were discussing in that movie that it was so interesting that they talked about, you know, a student going to see a therapist, that that was right. somewhat controversial back then um, to, to yes. have to kind of depict this and to show this. And so that's an interesting point to bring up, just kind of one of the changes from, uh, you know, counseling. And, you know, there's healthy aspects to that. I also know, thinking of Jonathan Heights and I always forget the co-author, uh, the book, The Coddling of the uh, American Mind. I think it's Greg Lukianoff, maybe. Um maybe kind of a balance there, John, of the healthiness that we are talking about this more that, Hey, look, this, like you said, is probably an issue that's always been there, but then when do we maybe coddle too much? And that's a very big question to get into, but maybe kind of talking about maybe the pros and cons of, of talking about depression a little bit more among teenagers. Yeah. It, it, what comes to mind is, um, uh, my actually, this happened just a couple of Sundays ago, um, in our, uh, 11th and 12th grade Sunday school class, they're studying through my one story ministries curriculum and in God's word. And we do a whole biblical counseling year and they just happen to get to depression and my son's in there. And uh, he came back after that. And there's like 15, 20 kids in that class. And, and he said, dad, every single person said they're depressed and they've got, they've got depression. Every, that just can't be every single person. And so we talked through this same issue. It's like, all right, is it use of language? Again, is it freedom with that? Uh, So what you're asking about is uh, going back to, again, social media, willingness to talk about it. You start talking about any issue. It goes viral. You know, everybody's got it. Everybody's struggled with it. it. Again, it's a good thing to expose it. And part of what, you know, doing the, we do in the book is, to show biblical principles and biblical solutions and real heart uh, ways to get to the heart versus again, you know, the downside of it is uh, so many youth, if you tell your parents or you tell your doctor or you tell a counselor, you tell someone else, it could be addressed differently, right? Right. In the secular realm, it could be again, quickly onto medication or, being labeled simply as a disease or a medical problem versus trying to get to a person's heart to deal with spiritual issues, deal with circumstances they're going through. So it, it could just simply be a quick route to, uh, you know, antidepressants, uh, sadly, instead of really addressing the issue. So that's where it becomes bad, you know, where, where, you know, Hey, my friends, this is how they solve it. So I'm going to solve it too. Versus where it's good is, Hey, depression is an indicator of something going on deeper. Let's talk about what's going on in your life. You know, it should be an open door to great conversations with youth uh, instead of, again, where it could end up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's that's helpful. Linda, I'd love for you to jump back in. Yeah. You know, like one of the issues we're dealing with is, yes, uh, our culture is increasingly aware of 
mental health issues, but at the same time, I think students don't quite know what they're talking about sometimes, you know, and so even the garden variety kind of sadness, like you've mentioned, can be labeled by students as depressed because they just, they hear that word and they're like, oh, that, that sounds right. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in the book, you even mention um, the difference between dealing with something like grief over a loss versus depression. You know, how can we help students to recognize the differences between just sadness and grief versus depression? Yeah. Again, I'm glad you asked that. Um, I read this great book, you know, several months ago called Admirable Evasions by Theodore Dalrymple, which I recommend Dalrymple stuff to a lot of people. He, he's a he's a British retired British psychiatrist who talks about some of the failures in the mental health uh, institution over the years. And uh, one of the things he talks about is that under in this chapter about depression is that we have we have lost our language and we've lost the word sadness sadness doesn't exist no one just says i'm sad again quickly do i'm depressed so i think helping teenagers and this is where good biblical counseling conversations between a parent and a youth or a youth worker and a youth uh to to help them use language better and to say, yeah, I, I hear you saying depressed. Let's talk about what that means, and and that you're sad, or I'm grieving. Say I'm grieving a loss. Grief is good, right? Grief. We're designed to grieve over losses. Uh, that again to see. Unfortunately, it's it's you know we're in this area and we've been here a long time where culturally we're supposed to always be happy. So anything that's not happy again becomes a mental disorder or a mental illness instead of saying, no, you know, again, can you tell a person you got to do it gently? You're not depressed. You're grieving or you're not. I've told people you're not depressed. You're angry, right? Let's talk about your anger or you're bitter. Let's, let's use language better. Words mean things. And let's, let's get depression, the word back to what it's designed for or was designed for, uh, and, and so helping them redefine and then putting some context behind what each of those words actually means is, is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like a, a sense in which what students need is they need language to help identify what's going on in their lives. Right. And that somehow helps them work through it, which is interesting when you connect it with the idea that, well, God has given us his word. He's mm. given us words, right? Yes. Yes. And, and again, isn't that true for our children and youth anyway? You know, we're, we as adults, we as older in the Lord, we're helping them to grow their vocabulary. And we, they grow a Christian vocabulary. No, they, we, we help them use words like justification, sanctification, conversion, re- redemption, repentance, words they need, faith, hope, love. Well, it's the same thing, I think, in dealing with emotional, mental, you know, relational problems. It's it's giving them a framework to now I can express it better, which leads, which which produces a better outcome, produces a better opportunity for solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're bringing up such a good point. It can seem like such a small thing of just teaching our children to change their wording. And like you said, being discerning and listening to them and, and really trying to, to wade through, okay, is this grief or is this something, you know, more serious, but even changing our language. And I love that you brought up the point of kind of the, uh, the ways in which our culture is idolizing happiness, uh, that we have this thought that we should just be happy all the time. And we just chase after entertainment and and all of that. You know, we need to think about God's word telling us, um, Jesus Christ on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who mourn, um, that we live in a broken world. We are broken people. We are going to have sadness in in this world. And, And of course, at the same time, we know we're commanded to have hope and we're commanded to have joy as Christians. And as Christians, we should have hope and joy because of the gospel alone. And so, Maybe helping us with that as well of kind of the tension of, yes, wrestling, fighting for for joy, um, also recognizing, hey, we, we are to mourn and it's okay to be sad. And so, kind of talking us through that that um, tension there as believers. Yeah, and that, and that's where I end in the book. Right is is when you're talking about the problem of depression, we're not trying to get people get youth from sadness to happiness again. Uh, we're trying to get them to understand true biblical joy. 
and what joy looks like, what contentment looks like, you're right, what, what biblical hope looks like, all these things, uh, they're the solutions for depression, where again, we just think it's happiness and happiness is circumstantial. Uh, again, just like we use the language. If, if, if the Bengals win on Sunday, you know, I'm going to be happy, right? <clears throat> uh, if, if the Rams win, I'm going to be depressed. No, you're, you're just going to be unhappy. You're going to be sad for a little while. And guess what? It's dumb that I'm even happy or sad about something like that. That's how, <laughs> that's how fleeting and, and silly sometimes those sorts of emotions are. And so understanding that we're not trying to move from depression to happiness that you can you can struggle with depression and return in your mind and heart to joy to the joy of your salvation to the joy of the lord being your strength uh these things you can you can get to and yes the depressed person being in that that pit can't can't see the light of joy oftentimes and so we we have to show it to them we we have to show them from the word we have to uh, pray the spirit's work to illuminate their heart towards joy but that's certainly where we're directing their hearts versus, again, just temporal, circumstantial sort of happiness. Um, one of the things I was wondering if we could get into is, you know, your book talks about a lot of different things that can contribute to depression. And there's so many different chapters on that. And I was just picturing a scenario where, like, I'm doing prayer requests at the end of small groups with our students. And one student is sharing that she has been struggling with depression. Sometimes she sees a counselor and, you know, something like that, like is getting help elsewhere. But to what extent do I need to know some of kind of the contributing factors to a student's depression in order to be able to help her? Or are there ways I can just walk alongside that student without even knowing like what, what's behind the depression? Well, I think best case scenario to know the student's story, to know their context and their, you know, what is contributing to this is so important. I, when, when I teach my pastoral counseling class, uh, I, I have when we go through the section on depression, uh, I start with the scenario. Someone comes into your office and says, I'm depressed. And I say, what is their real problem? And I, I go through this so often. Uh, and they still get it wrong on the test. It's always asked on the test. Boiler alert to those listening. Uh, and, and the answer is, we don't know. We don't know what's, what's the real problem. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying depression isn't a real problem, but I describe depression more of a symptom than, than usually the root issues that we're dealing with. And so people, you know, students will, <laughs> on their tests would like to say, oh, it's pride. It's self-centeredness. Like, you don't know because you don't know enough of the story. What are the circumstances? So yes, you, to answer your question, you need to know, did this, did this student just suffer a loss in their life or a series of losses? Is there a relational struggle? Uh, is there deep anxiety that has kind of converted over to hopelessness and despair? Is there anger and, and, and uh, bitterness that is, that is so deep that they have, again, just slipped over into depression? all these things. Are there medical issues? Are, are there physical issues? Are there, we know students, part of the reason why, uh, maybe more so college students, but I'd also say uh, high school students, they often establish extremely poor patterns of eating, sleeping, no exercise, uh, you know, 12 hours in front of their screens, playing video games or whatever, or binge watching Netflix, why so many people got de depressed during uh, COVID, you know, lockdowns, because they didn't do all those things they said they were going to do. They just watched Netflix the whole time. Uh, these are things we need to ask all these sorts of questions to give us context. And yes, to see what are the contributing factors uh, to this particular person's experience with depression. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very helpful, John. I'd love for you to talk um, a little bit about medicine as well. I know antidepressants, it's been mentioned a couple of times just in this, this conversation, um, just kind of helping us think through this. Because as you're talking about, um, and I mean, it's, it's so related, we, we cannot just quickly diagnose someone without knowing their story and knowing their circumstances, knowing what's going on in their life and kind of trying to, to figure out and get to the root of it. And so just kind of helping us wade through, you know, 
when might it be some time to, to, to seek medicine in this? And of course, obviously we'd say, okay, consult your physician on all of this. Let's give a disclaimer there, but, um, but I'd love for you just to kind of speak in and give us some thoughts there as well. Yeah, I'd say, you know, for the perspective of a parent or, or a youth worker, you know, there, there are times uh, that you want your child to see a doctor, uh, especially if there is some thought that there could be some physical things uh, going you know, underneath. We have to be very careful again, though, that if we don't really see physiological things, don't just go to the doctor because plenty of doctors will say, well, I'm just going to let's just try it. You know, a lot of them have the mentality, let's just try an antidepressant and see if it works. Well, most of the time it's going to work. The question is only is it going to is it going to have certain side effects that we can't tolerate and so on and so forth. So I think we have to be careful. You know, biblical counselors certainly get the bad rap. Sometimes it's justified, but for most of us, we get the bad rap of being anti-medication. And I've never been anti-medication. I will tell you that I'm anti-medication in certain areas, and in the sense of concerned about over-medicating, and with children and youth. Uh, Children and youth just don't handle medication for emotional problems like adults do. Uh, they, there's more side effects. They have developing bodies. <laughs> they have physiological changes already going on, more potential side effects, and more potential for mishandling and misunderstanding medications that instead of being a medication, it becomes you know an addiction or becomes, I can't be happy without this versus Adults, generally speaking, can see it as, hey, I need this just to deal with some of the things and, and, and see it somewhat in different light. Uh, so I do get concerned about that. But again, it's a decision um, with doctors, you know, with parents. Uh, what we do know, even if uh, the best case scenario, a, a medication will elevate mood, keep us off the, keep a child off the bottom and be so chronically depressed, we still need to deal with their hearts. We still need to deal with their circumstances. We still need to deal with their minds, uh, the way they think, the way they approach life, the way they relate to others, the way they're dealing with experiences. None of that gets solved by the medication, right? It, that doesn't fix all that. Um, they, they still need wise biblical counsel and to, to make some changes and hopefully to have some heart changes to go along with that. Uh, and so to, to, you know, I guess my biggest concern about medication is when it becomes the only the solution, the, uh, you know, the silver bullet, as we say, right. And, and then it fixes it. That's a, that's a promise we shouldn't make, you know, to, to our youth of this will do it. And then now you're going to be happy again. Um, and if that's how it's seen, that that's, uh, that's not what it is. Yeah. No, no, I think that's, yeah, some, some good words there. And especially at, at the end that, you know, if we do, um, or if parents are listening and they are in that scenario of kind of getting the, the child medicine, um, that, that that's not the end right there to, to follow up and to, to be talking to them along the way um, to have those uh, ongoing conversations about it, because it's not just, you know, something that's going to, to, to fix it and solve it all. And, and you know, I think most believers, uh, you know, wherever they, they fall on kind of the medication or, or no medication, uh, they would agree with that, that it's not the end all be all. It's not the, the thing that's going to fix everything. There's got to be these ongoing conversations. And, and something too, John, I, I want to discuss that you broach in the book is, is suicidal thoughts. Um, uh, you know, this is something that uh, sadly, uh, I mean, my, my time in youth ministry, I definitely had to deal with with, with students. Um, uh, thankfully, I, I never had a student um, follow through with this, but but definitely students kind of asking about suicide and voicing suicidal thoughts. And, and I know you uh, even talk about the, the story of Jonah in, in the Bible and um, him, I mean, wanting to die, him voicing that in scripture. And I've always thought of you know, Philippians one, even Paul saying that it's better for him to die and to be with Christ, that he's thinking about death. And, um, you know, we, we might get debate is that suicidal thoughts or, or not. And I don't want to read into the text, but you know, the, the Bible is not, um, void of discussion on suicide, obviously. Um, and so I, I'd love for you just to kind of give us some counsel there. Um, you know, those youth workers listening, you might have a student inquiring about it. How, how do we know, okay, if it's just a cry for help or if it's something more serious, just give us some general thoughts there on suicide. Well, you know, when it gets uh, right down to it, that's what we're most concerned about when a student is depressed. You know, we, 
we want to deal with it because left unchecked, you know, those sorts of thoughts and feelings uh, can very easily end up in, in suicidal thoughts and uh, ultimately, sadly, in suicide. And so whenever a, a, a student is, you know, not only depressed, but is expressing to us, you know, I, I don't want to live anymore. I, I, I don't, you know, life stinks. It's horrible. I, I wish Jesus come back or, or whatever way they, they describe it. We should always take it seriously, you know, to, to, to it, our first impulse shouldn't just be, uh, you know, just a cry for help, just cry for attention. Uh, it could be. Uh, but we always take those things serious because of many reasons. One, people do follow through with it. Uh, number two, it, even if it's a so-called cry for help, well, then help, you know. Uh, three, we, we talk about words again. And so we talk to our students and talk to, I've talked to my own children about like words mean things. So tell me what you mean. Uh, talk to me about what that means. So uh, yes, you, you can ask the class of questions like, do you have a plan? But you simply ask them, are you going to kill yourself? Do you plan to do that? Have you tried to kill yourself before? Those are questions sometimes we're afraid to ask because we think, well, now we're making it more serious than maybe it is. No, it's serious already. <laughs> Someone talks in those terms. They've made it a serious issue. And you will see pretty quickly if when a student says, no, no, I, I, I'm just talking. I, life is okay. Well, let's again talk about things in perspective eternally and with the Lord and in your situation. And let's talk through it. Now you have a further conversation. But you, you may get someone who says, yeah, you know, I, I really, then, then we got to get parents involved. Then we, uh, we've got to get help, you know, in the support of, other pastoral staff to, to intervene or whatever, or of course, to the point of, of medical help or, or lockdown help. Uh, so, you know, these things, we shouldn't, uh, these words, these ideas, uh, these heart issues, just because they come out of the heart uh, of a foolish child or teenager, doesn't mean they're not serious, doesn't mean that it isn't something we have to address. It means we do. Uh, and and that communicates a lot to a youth that we're willing to take it serious, that we're not just blowing it off or we're ignoring, you know, the things they're saying. Hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's helpful. Um, and I know we're, we're about to draw this this time to a close and it's hard what we're talking about something so serious and just there's so much more what we could be discussing. But, John, we're about to, to wrap this up. But why don't you just kind of give us some final thoughts on writing this book and, and how it can serve the church? No, I just like to say, you know, that the joy of, of writing a book like this and for you guys to include this in a series is uh, just like, uh, you know, the anxiety book, which I, I've, from what I've heard is much uh, bought and read. Uh, we, we as believers need to address these issues. It seems like the culture for decades has kind of uh, had the corner on the mental health, <laughs> mental illness. Uh, and sometimes the church is quiet. We've even seen books over the years, like, can Christians get depressed? Like, yes, you know, but, it, you know, the, the church, it, when the church is quiet on these issues, uh, the culture is just left to define and to seek solutions uh, their ways, and a lot of times not the best ways. And so uh, it's such a wonderful opportunity, you know, to speak directly in the language uh, of students to students with these issues uh, to demonstrate, again, to demystify them for a lot of them. Again, give them language. Uh, the whole point on having different chapters on different biblical principles is to connect it fully to God's truth and to scripture. And you know, this is not something, again, that's simply uh, some sort of uh, medical disease that falls outside uh, of God's perusal, um, but it's clearly something we can approach scripturally and biblically and must to get to the heart of our students. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's a really good word. And I like that you're saying, you know, there are those subjects that sometimes the church feels like we just can't touch and uh, we just kind of want to stay away from and we end up not talking about them at all. And so I hope that those who are out there listening to this conversation and those who might even 
pick up the book would, would see that there's there's value here no matter where you fall kind of on your spectrum of thoughts on on depression that there's going to be something helpful here um, and something that will help um, us lord willing d disciple our students better so now we're grateful uh, you're a part of this series and that you took the time to, to write on something that's very complicated and to write on it in you know a, a very concise way is not easy at all um, as we've talked about you know all the authors that have contributed to this but um thank you for this conversation today i know many will be um, blessed by it and we just appreciate your time john thanks for having me always glad to be with you Without